my name's Loz and welcome to Find My Wild. This is the documentation and the diarizationization of how I rebuilt my life post a domestic violence abusive relationship. Today, this episode will cover leaving. I want to take you through my experience of leaving and look at the things that I learned along the way in hope that it will help benefit you. This is also stage one of my 12-stage program that I have um, available for purchase. You can go to my Instagram or my TikTok and the link is in the bio. But for now, let me share with you in hope that it can help. So before we get started, say it with me. I am so brave. I'm so strong and I'm so very loved in this space. Let's go. Let's get started. So this episode is leaving and it's all around uh, like how I left, what I thought, my processes and the things that I feel are really important. I'll go through those as well to someone that's thinking about leaving or, you know, yeah, contemplating leaving basically. So leaving for me was in my mind for a long time. I had lots of friends picking up and going, Loz, this isn't right. Or, you know, certain events that came up, like for an example, on my 30th birthday, my beautiful friends bought me a trip to Bali. And one of them even rang him and crossed with him, like cross-referenced it with him and made sure he was good with it. And then when uh, they actually booked it, he said to me, uh, you better not take your phone with you because the level of abuse that I'm going to send you won't make it worth it. So as we got older and the years went on, and I I honestly think that as I, you know, I was 18 when I met him and he was 31 or 32, I don't know, early 30s. And, you know, he was at a particular benchmark in his life and I was a particular benchmark in mine. I had a lot of growth to do. I was 18 years old. So together, we were together 14 years. So over those 14 years, I feel like I evolved and changed continuously because I was in those peak growth years. Like I went from being a young little 18-year-old party girl to a mother of one to then going to university and studying a teaching degree. I'm trying to think in chronological what actually happened in my life, but going to university and studying teaching. And then we had another baby and then we got married and then we bought another house and then we had another baby. And by this stage, I was working at a gym to which I'd worked myself up into a managerial position, which then went on to purchasing one, purchasing a gym with my other manager and moving into state to which he stayed at home and looked after the kids and I went to work. And then, so it kind of feels like I was rapidly evolving and he wasn't really. And maybe that was a bit of the reason as to why we weren't working because the more educated and the more evolved I got as a person, the more red flags I saw in our relationship. And yeah, and the more, you know, when I was younger, it was always just like, I felt like protective or, he was just trying to look after me or that's just the way it was. Because as I said, in a previous relationship, I came from a toxic family and so we weren't shy to being screamed at and yelled at and all that kind of stuff. That was normal. So to then have that in my own life just was normal. And then as I got older and I started to see foundations of other people's relationships that were similar age to me and what was going on, and my friends starting to pick me up and tell me that things weren't normal, I started to really realise that it wasn't normal to be treated certain ways. With one massive thing, 
that really still haunts me today is was my 30th birthday when my friends bought me a trip to Bali and one of the friends that he got along with okay rang and asked for permission and he said yes and then we went through the motions of booking it and they booked it for me and they were really angry at me because when they booked it I was really hesitant to get my passport because I just knew what I was in for right but anyway I went through the motions and got it all done and then when it came he said to me you better turn your phone off because the level of abuse that I'm going to send you won't make you worth won't make the trip worth it and it was then that I realized I couldn't go so luckily um I think it was Tiger Air we were booked with, stopped flying to Bali around the same time. So I used that as an excuse to not go because I knew that one, the level of abuse I would get and also I was leaving the kids to go. So it just didn't feel right. So even though I left eventually, it was a long time coming, especially in that last kind of nine months to 12 months, I was Googling how to get out. I was Googling what was going on. I was forever on my phone Googling, 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 trying to understand what I was doing and what was going on and was this normal and how to get through it and what I should do. And, you know, in all honesty, at the end I was Googling ways to fucking die because I'm like, I can't do this anymore and maybe if I'm out of the picture it will be better for the kids because he won't be here to, like, make me feel like this. And, yeah, like it's just a really shitty space. So anyone that's in it, I know how it feels and... I think we're all different as to what our approach is with leaving and my approach very much wasn't a planned one. It wasn't an orchestrated one. It wasn't well thought out. And I've now looked back and I learned that that's how I run my life. So for an example, I just build and build and build and then go, that's it, I'm done. And once I flick that switch, I'm done. So all I knew, I was fucking shit scared of how I was going to go and what I was going to do. And I honestly just didn't want to go back. So I didn't want to leave and then be like, oh, I've made a mistake. I've got to come back between my tail, between my legs because I knew what that meant for me. So I had to wait until I had the courage to do it and do it one time only and do it like for real and make sure that I wasn't coming back. So you know, I'd started to look at rentals. I actually think he might have picked that up one time or houses in the area that, you know, if we wanted to, to kind of sell our house and buy and whatever. And I think I, by memory, I think he may have picked that up and said, what the fuck is this? And I was like, I don't know, I'm just looking. Anyway, and then eventually it just got to the pillar point and I've spoke about it in episode one. So if you haven't listened to episode one, please go back because I talk a bit more lengthy about what actually happened and what let me go. But yeah, so the day that I left, I woke up in the morning and we had a joint bank account and I left that card beside his bed because in all honesty, I thought in my head, if I left the card, that it would mean that he would let me go with peace because I thought if I left him the money, he would let me go. I put the card there. I went to work. I drove into work, got there about nine didn't say anything till 11. And then eventually I said to my business partner, I'm going to move out today, to which I rang my mum and I was blessed to have my mum and she could put me in the garage. So she was like, yes, come. I've been waiting for this day. Like I said, everyone could see the writing on the wall but me. Um, The kids were all well aware of kind of what was going on. So once again, if you go back to episode one, it talks a bit more in depth about this. But they knew that leaving was on the cards. But in all honesty, I didn't know I was going to leave that day. That day was no different to any other. It was no massive significant event. It was just the day that I got the courage to go. 
So I rang mum and then I went home. I picked the kids up from school and I went to mum's and then I knew I had a window before he got home. And so I went over and just chucked whatever shit I could fit in the car. And I remember in my head going through like, I'm going to do a checklist actually and put it on the website just I'm going to write that down um, just to kind of help people because I remember just thinking, okay, what things do I need? So I was like passports, birth certificates, anything that could help me get new bank accounts or a lease or restart my life and then clothing obviously because you need stuff to wear and I wanted to remove everything of mine because I knew him and I knew that I needed to remove my stuff because he wouldn't damage the kids. But like I'd said in my first podcast as well, my eldest brother died when I was five. So any remembrance I had of him in the house, I knew I needed to go. So everything was done in a flurry. There was no thought process. I had no money. Um, Yes, we had a joint card and I had access to it, but I was really hoping that if I left that with him, that I wouldn't then have to deal with him or, you know, get in trouble. And in all honesty, my self-worth and that was so shot that I was so believed that it was always his money, even though we were both worked and stuff because there were times when he was the breadwinner and, you know, had supported us. He'd made me feel like it wasn't mine. So I just thought if I left it with him, then he'd be happy because that's what he wanted. Um, so, yeah, so then I left and I torpedoed myself into a complete flurry of a life because I had no fucking plan. So in this episode, I'm going to take you through what I go through in stage one of leaving and the things that I think you should um, have in place to help leaving be much more better than my shit show of an example that you just saw that happened then. So let's get into it. Okay. Stage 1.1 of leaving is housing. So obviously, if you've got kids, dogs, or even if it's just yourself, you need to sleep somewhere safe. Now, the more preparation obviously you can put into this, the easier and the better it will be. Like I remember when I was with my partner, one of his friend's partners left and I don't know how domestic violence or abusive their relationship was, but she had been saving money. She had bond ready and she was ready to go and had her own accounts and she was all sorted. So, I mean, obviously if that's something you feel comfortable in doing, that's amazing. And if you both as a unit have access to do that. However, if that's not something that you can do is prepare like that. There are options to help you with housing. So first things first, start at the bottom, work your way up. So who can you actually stay with? Like, have you got friends or family that will hold you, even if it's just for a few nights to get your bearings? Because in my experience, you are fucking anxious as fuck. You know, you feel the way that I feel like felt was like I was going to be hunted. I knew I was going to be tormented basically in me for leaving was, am I ready for what's going to happen when I leave? That's what I needed to be ready for. Can I handle this? Do I have the emotional withstand to handle what's coming at me? So the safer you can feel in regards to housing, the better. And obviously the level of abuse that you're going through. Like for me, a lot of it was emotional abuse. And whilst he came over and used to scream and yell and carry on at my parents house and he kicked all the side of my car in um yeah there was a lot more his ute that I was paying for I asked for it back so he came and kicked it all in he threatened to come down to the football club where my son was getting awards night to tell everyone what a hoe I was and all this kind of stuff so I had them on watch that night um but basically you know at this at that level he'd never violently 
hurt me. So it just depends on what level of abuse and violence that you're handling. But I do recommend staying somewhere where you're with people, especially if they do find out where you are, because, you know, like I said, it can be like a dog being hunted. So start with the basics. Can you stay with family and friends for a few days just to catch your breath and get your bearings? And then you can start looking at the options. And the options are in Australia, you know, you can get rental bond schemes where they'll pay your bond for you. There's particular housing units that have affordable housing, national affordable housing scheme. There are things out there, but they take time. So even if it is one of those flurry, I got to go now, start with the basics with family, friends, anyone that will just have you for a few days and don't be ashamed and don't be embarrassed of doing this. It's your safety and it gets you out and it gets you somewhere where you can just catch your breath and then look for the next step. The, like I said, though, if you can be more prepared and move back from that and have money behind you, be ready for bond and all that, obviously that's fantastic. But if you're not there, that's completely fine too. So just start small. Who can you stay with? Where can you stay? If you've got a small amount of money, can you go stay to Caravan Park? you know, an Airbnb for a few nights if you've got access to more funds. Think creatively. I talk about this a little bit more in depth in my course and there's links to like the National Affordable Scheme and all those kinds of things because the sooner you can get those things started, the sooner you can get a place of your own. And for me, I don't think it really felt permanent until I got a place of my own, especially when he didn't know my address anymore. So housing is obviously the, you know, the reason that a lot of people stay in these situations is because they're like, where the fuck am I going to go? So just get creative, look at every avenue and find somewhere safe for you and your kids to stay, even if it's just for a few days. Okay, so now stage 1.2 of leaving is safety. So the first thing you need to make sure is that wherever you go and whatever you do, that you are safe and that that person has your back because it's going to be fucking shit for a while. Post-separation post abuse is fucking huge and it's something that they don't talk about enough. And I kind of knew what I was in for, but I didn't at the same time. Like I knew it was going to be bad, but I didn't realize how bad and how traumatizing it was going to be for me and the kids. So safety, having somewhere safe to go and some people around you in case of the worst, like in these situations, you do not know what you will be experiencing. So you need to make sure that you've got safety, put security cameras up if you need to. I certainly did. I stayed with my mum and dad and my dad is quite a, you know, like he, my ex-partner knew not to kind of start too much shit with my dad around so but even in saying that he still was carrying on and starting shit and screaming yelling and dad said to me one day fucking sort this out like I'm done with it so make sure that wherever you go there's safety precautions put in place also with safety make sure that people know shit like the people you can trust I'm going to be here at this time. I'm going to be there at this time. For the first few weeks, you need to be on your wits end because this is the most dangerous time. The way that I like to describe it is when you're dealing with someone that controls you, a narcissist, emotionally abusive person, any of that kind of stuff, physically abusive, whatever, where they've had control over your life. If you imagine that you get a bug um, and you catch it and then you put it in a glass jar and put the lid on and it's starving for air, it starts flapping around in the jar, right? Because it needs air bad. And this is the feeling that you 
that your ex-partner is going to have when you take their control away. And by you leaving, especially the longer that you stick to the leaving, they go crazy, fucking crazy. You ask anyone that's been through it. So you need safety precautions. Here's my, you know, tell your mum, I'm going here at this time. Tell your friends, if you don't see me by this time, call my mum or take this or call this precaution because it is so important that your safety is the number one. And you just don't know what someone's capable of until they're put in that position. So make sure that you think all the time of what could potentially go wrong. And I know that's a negative space to think, and you will eventually not have to feel like that. But in the very early days, you need to be at your wits end. And I wish I was more like, you know, I used to get notes left on my car and things like that to the stage where I was like, I need another fucking car because you know, I don't know where he is. And that used to make me nervous. I'd see the note and I'd be looking around or, you know, I just wanted something where I had some form of, you know, privacy and safety by him not knowing where I was and what I was doing, which because it was our joint car for a while, he knew where, like the car, so he knew what I drove. So put safety measures in precaution. Tell your friends where you are. Find people that you can trust. And another thing I recommend to you is going on social media and deleting anyone that has any interaction with the both of you, even if they're a mutual friend. And I know that's fucking hard, but you need the sooner that you cut ties, it just protects you. It just protects you to really cut those ties. And anyone that is a good friend of yours will totally understand that that's what you're doing. So, you know, don't ever worry about what other people are thinking or going to say because you've had to do it. It's you and your children and your life that matters the most. So cut the ties. So with safety, recapping that, you know, do whatever you feel that you need to do to be safe. Don't worry if you feel like it's over the top or if people like you're just being traumatic. You know what you need to do to feel safe, okay? Okay, so now we move into stage 1.3, which is contactability. Okay, so everyone, there's grey rock, all these things that come with no contact with an ex-partner and to really starve them of contact to you. And whilst I totally fucking agree with that, I know for me that in the early days, I didn't know how to do that. And I stupidly kept access everywhere because I felt like obligated to, especially because I had the kids... I felt like I had to keep that open. So with contactability, I had Facebook, I had, I think we had Instagram, email, message, all the things. And I kept it that way for quite some time. Over summer, the summer period, um, over two weeks of the summer period, I got 1,500 emails and 150 text messages a day on average uh, for a while there. And the messages would range from nice to angry to in the middle to I want you back, all the things. So I believe that if you can't completely cut contact for whatever fucking reason, because emotionally you can't, because they're the kids, because of whatever reason, what you need to do is reduce the level of contact down to one option only. So my advice would be an email. And the reason that I say this is one, with an email, you can keep a folder and I call mine my old life and I put everything in there. So then when you get the email, you pop it in there 
and it's saved for later on throughout the stages. I go through court and legal and stuff like that. But by reducing into your email, with an email, you can prepare yourself a bit. So a text message pops up, their name pops up. Same, social media is your space for you to be social with people that you want to be social with, not to cop abuse and all that kind of shit. So with an email, like I said, it's a lot more trackable. It can be put in a folder to use later on without having to screenshot it and upload it. And it can also, you can be prepared. So you might see the notification for you've got an email on your phone and then you can go, okay, could be from them. (sighs) Take a breath. I'm going to read it now. Or you can click on it and see maybe a preview and go, I'm not going into that today. And it just is a bit more protective compared to like a text message where it comes through with their name and you just shit yourself and it just throws you off. So for an example, with an email, if you're out having lunch with your friends and you've, or you've taken the kids out somewhere at the movies or something like that, and an email comes through, it's not quite as intense as a text message. And then you can prepare your psyche before you read it. So it's a big thing. Reduce the contactability, be less accessible to them so that you're not continually getting harassed and learn from my mistakes. As I said, like some days were horrific. Do you know, it actually cost me four and a half thousand dollars for me to send these emails to my lawyer and text messages because she's like, there's so many. And she had to read them that she's like, it's four and a half thousand dollars. And that was just for a week or two. So obviously I stopped sending them through, but yeah, reduce it down and keep email. I believe email is the best way of contact. Okay, stage 1.4 is stress. This will no doubt be one of the fucking stressful things that you'll ever have to deal with. And I like to think that I manage stress quite well um, at times and that I dealt with some stressful things in my life before, but I really fucking found this to be super, super stressful. So be wary of that. Put precautions in place, put necessary measures. You know, I tried to handle it all and I just lost my shit. And then you'll know from my earlier podcast, I turned to partying and drinking and all the things. So don't do that. Um, Go see your doctor and align, you know, find let them know how you're feeling and look at ways to reduce your stress. Go for daily walks, go for daily swims, journal, do all the things that I talk about all the time and that I go into more length with at the end of the 12 stages to try and manage your stress because, you know, like it's just so big on your psyche. It's so emotional. It's so much to deal with. You know, you've left your home or maybe you're still in your home and you're trying to manage them or, you know, you've got the kids, you're trying to grieve a life that you once lived, all these things, your stress levels are going to be super fucking high. So this is a time when you need to be really kind to yourself. Listen to podcasts like this one and hopefully it will help you make you feel less alone and less stressed or listen to calming music. Just really know that this is a super fucking stressful time and it's okay, but with the right things, you can manage it and handle it just that bit better and understand when things too are too much, it's okay to check out a life for a bit. Like it's okay to go, I need a day in bed on the weekend or whatever you need to just really breathe, you know, and feel free. So stage 1.4 is manage your stress. Mm. 
Okay, stage 1.5 of leaving is visitations. So if you don't have children, this won't apply for you. But if you do have children, then this will. So with me, I thought that, you know, whilst I was dealing with what I was dealing with with my ex-partner, the kids still should see their parent, right? Like I honestly did believe that. And, you know, sometimes I wish it was different and they could see them because I feel sad for them and, you know, only having one parent to rely on and to love them and to be that person, you know, one ver- one against, like one, not against, but one adult to three kids is fucking stressful. Anyway, so with visitations, here's my recommendations. Leave with an agreement, in, like when you leave, have an agreement in place because my ex-partner would ring and go, I want to see the fucking kids now, or he'd message and I'd be like, oh, and I'd be all nervous and I'd take them over there and then 10 minutes later I'd get a phone call from him. I can't fucking do this. Come and get him now. Come and get them now. And it was just really stressful for them. It was stressful for me. It was stressful for him. It was stressful for everyone involved. And on the third time that I did that, the kids all came fucking running out of the house like, Mum, we're never going back there again. We don't want to be there. I hate it. And that's what put us into court um, effectively because the kids didn't want to go back. Now, what I think, I feel like I was always going to end up where I ended up because there's a lot more angst and anger between him and I as a couple and that would even trumped the feeling of kids. So what I mean by that, I don't know if that really made sense, but what I mean is that his hatred for me trumped the fact of being a dad to the kids at the time. And so it was just like a take it out on me kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, so if I was going to do it again, I would, and I got the messages, I'd be like, no, these are the times that the kids will be coming to visit you. Um, Please make sure that, you know, there's snacks in the house, that you have something planned to do with them. I'll drop them off at this time and I'll pick them up at this time. And I know that that's fucking hard in the early days because you're feeling so out of control, but I just think it helps the kids as well to go, okay, you're going to see your other parent Monday at 4pm and I'll be there at five o'clock or whatever the agreement is in place. I don't think that the ex-partner doesn't have the right to just call you up and demand the children. And if the children don't feel safe, don't fucking send them. Because I, in all honesty, now I look back, I was so scared of the outcome that I sent them and it wasn't in their best interest for them. I should have said from the start, no, that's not what's happening until you sort your shit out. Um, and so if I was going to go back now, I would either have a strong visitation plan if the parent, sometimes I see ex-partners hate on the ex, like they both hate each other, the adults, but they can still manage to be an effective parent. And if that's the case, then visitations need to be locked in and a plan needs to be executed as soon as possible. Um, if possible, by you two until the court needs to get involved or mediation or whatever. 
but it's really stressful for the kids. Like my kids have never recovered from some of those days from being dropped off and then him losing his shit and being angry and fucking angry at me and ringing and yelling at me and they're just terrified of it. So lock down some either visitation rights or say no from the start and let them engage and take you to court to fight for visitations and then they've got to prove that they're a willing parent and that the kids actually want to see them. So stand firm do what's right for the kids and get a visitation in plan in place as soon as possible. Okay, there you have it. That is leaving. So I've tried to share my experiences as to how I've come up with those five points of leaving. And it's just such a fucking tricky time. So I want you to know that whatever you do in this time, Don't be hard on yourself, hey. Don't beat yourself up. You're going to make shitty choices because you're learning. You're learning how to be a person without them. You're learning how to run your own life. You're learning to be brave at a time when you feel very fucking scared and vulnerable. And whatever you do is the right decision for you in the time. But if you can take any of my points above, please do so. And if they can help you, I'm so happy that they're helping you. You can purchase the whole 12 stages like I said, in the link in my Instagram or on my TikTok. And with the 12 stages, it's 60 short videos that goes all the way from leaving through to health, through to mindset and healing. And over the podcast, every couple of podcasts, I'll be adding in the next stage and a bit of an overview on it. Every stage includes links to the things that I talk about, like with housing or, you know, As I go on, things like setting up a budget, there's an Excel spreadsheet, there's a healing sound ceremony as you go through the stages. It's an interactive thing, so you get to watch a little video with me and there's some actionables and you can take on what applies to you and the things that don't, don't do. Like when I get through to the mindset shifts, if things don't work for you, don't do them, but it's just my tried and tested method of how I've rebuilt my life. It's not an easy process. It's a day-by-day fight, really, to work on my mindset, work on my growth and do all those kinds of things. So thank you so much for joining me today. I would love to hear from you. So if you want to head over to the Instagram or TikTok or even send me an email at lauren at findmywild.com.au, I would love to hear suggestions on podcast episodes, things that you would like me to research, look into and share with you. And I'd also like to know what you've learned and how you feel about the ones that are getting produced. So before we leave today, say it with me. You were so brave. You were so strong. You're so very loved in my space. Also, if you'd like to share your story, I would love to share it for you. Please email me at lauren at findmywild.com.au to either organize a Zoom where we chat and go through your story and then we upload it like that or simply send me an email with your story and I'll read it on your behalf. Have the best day finding you wild. I love you.